Ducks fans. Are you ready? You are listening to the Ducks and Pucks podcast with your hosts, Mike Walters and Eddie Jones. This is the number one home for Anaheim Ducks talk and analysis. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Mike Walters, along with my co-host, Eddie Jones. And we've got a good show for you this week after the All-Star Game. We've got uh, a couple games to cover before that. And then, obviously, the Ducks just took on the Boston Bruins, so we'll cover that as well. Uh, plenty of fan questions, um, some updates on the lineup, um, some injury news on Gibson we'll get to and talk about, and an upcoming watch party as well that we will uh, discuss and mention. So um, with that, on the last show, we had talked about the Ducks and how well they were doing. They had beaten uh, Pittsburgh. They had beaten Los Angeles. And we had talked about the Ducks and the, the hunt for the uh, the playoff race as far as the wild card and the Pacific Division, Eddie. And so the Ducks then went in to face the Sharks. And we talked about a big game, two points. You know, you got you got to win these. And <laughs> they end up losing this game. But it was kind of a weird game, Eddie, because the Ducks, they didn't play that poorly. Um, they did take a little bit too many penalties, and they, they gave up a couple power play goals against. But it was just a weird game. The, the Ducks started out uh, playing well, controlling the puck, getting chances. You know, They even outshot the Sharks this game. But they got down 3 nothing in this game uh, You know, by the middle of the second period. Uh, they fought back, got a couple goals, but then the Sharks added another three in the third. And the Ducks ended up losing, but... Uh, kind of an unusual game, Eddie. Uh, the, the Ducks still played well like they had against uh, Pittsburgh and the Kings, but they ended up not pulling this one out. Yeah, it's one of those weird games where, you know, you look at the way the Ducks played through the entire game, the way they, they, they controlled five-on-five five play through the majority of this game, if not the entire game, and then you, you go and you look at the scoreline, and they end up losing 6-2, to two, and it's, it's just one of those weird ones. Uh, I mean, I don't think they played an awful game, uh, you know, if you take out the, the fact they lost six to two, I, I think they played really well at five on five for for the most part. But you know, this wasn't Gibson's strongest game. He let in a couple uh, soft ones, especially uh, the one of the goals against Mikel Bodker, kind of just went under his arm, and it, it was a real soft one on him. And I mean, I guess he's due for that type of game, really. I mean, he's been great for the Ducks the entire season, so you're bound to have one of these at some point. But I think the most disappointing thing is is the team it came against. I mean, this is a team the Ducks are fighting uh, fighting for to get into the Pacific Division, um, or sorry, to get into the playoffs, and it, you know, to to give up two points. To, to this team and, and lose in regulation. It's just disappointing. And, and now we look at the standings now. You know, the Ducks are tied with San Jose in points, and the San Jose is about two or three games in hand. And, you know, this is a game that could come back to bite them near come the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the time of the, the show right now, you look at the uh, Pacific Division, and all the California teams are tied in terms of points, as you mentioned. San Jose's got a couple games in hand. Los Angeles has a game in hand. You know, th- this game was a huge four-point game. The Ducks could have been at 61 points technically right now, and San Jose at 57. So, And don't forget Calgary. They've, you know, uh, still in the mix there. They, they're at 58 points. So you got this, this log jam of everybody fighting it out uh, with Vegas, of course, uh, on the top still. So it's, I mean, anybody can go in the, in this division. It's going to be a wild finish in the West as the Ducks uh, battle the other California teams in Calgary for, you know, second and third. And then m- maybe someone else gets in there as the wild card. We don't know. Uh, obviously with the central division being tough as well. So like we talked about, this was an important game. The Ducks, you want to get the two points against your division rivals, and you want to try and do it in regulation. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. 
Uh, like you said, I, I think Gibson didn't have one of his best games. Uh, the Ducks' uh, penalty kill wasn't the best either. They gave up two goals on five chances. And um, it's just a game that the Ducks have to move on from, Eddie, uh, as they uh, you know go in, in the rest of the week against the uh, Rangers and the Jets. Yeah, and you know I think discipline was a, a major factor in the reason the Ducks lost this game as well. They took a lot of bad penalties, and, and of course it came back to hurt them. Like you said, San Jose scored on two of their five power plays. But yeah, I think this is a game you can draw off of. Uh, the Ducks play San Jose in about five or six games from now. So I think you can look back on, on this one and, and you know they're going to look back and say, we played pretty well for the majority of the game. And it was just kind of one of those days where you know you do a lot of things right and then you end up losing the game 6-2. I mean, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> and I think they're, they're pretty unlucky in this game. So they can look back on what they did wrong. Of course, when they come in to play again, you, you would assume if Gibson's healthy, he'll be in net. And I'm sure he'll be looking for revenge in the next one. You know, and I think what's interesting about this game too is the response afterwards by Carlisle. You and I talked about uh, Perry on the last show, and we said, you know, he's not doing as well. You know, is he going to put him on the fourth line? We were kind of like, well, he could, but we don't know. And and lo and behold, what happens after this game? <laughs> Carlisle changes all the right wing spots, of which which you and I kind we we touched on on the last show. We weren't sure, you know, we were thinking, how is he going to really adjust this with the players? You know, what I mean, and, and obviously we talked about the trade deadline and getting other forwards and how the lineups kind of you know, full right now. So it, it happened. <laughs> they, he goes and he puts Perry on the fourth line, and we were like, oh, okay, he really did what we were talking about. So it, that part was one of the inter- interesting moves. He then puts uh, Kase on the top line. He So that we kind of get that part. Then the next part to this, where it's just kind of surprising, and people are like, what, is he moves Silverberg off the Kessler-Cagliano line moves him down to the, the third line, then puts Brown on that line. So now you're sitting here going, okay, how is this going to work? And actually, it works pretty well, Eddie, as we've seen, because the Ducks go on, they beat the Rangers, the Jets, and the Bruins. Uh, you know, We'll talk about all of them. But first, they, they go into the game against the um, New York Rangers, and Brown scores right off the bat in the first three minutes. Um, you know, This game was a, a little bit back and forth in the first period a really wild first period if you went in the game and saw it uh, the rangers actually played pretty good in this period but the ducks end up getting four goals in this period um we see Corey perry gets a goal in the power play uh cogliano scores henrik we'll talk about him he's been on fire he gets a shorthanded goal um a very entertaining and another weird period eddie uh, probably one that the rangers felt that they you know should have gotten some more goals but the ducks come out of that period Four to two, six goals in the first period. Um, the Rangers do get one back in the second. Uh, you know, make it a, a close game, pull within one. Uh, the Ducks are able to get a couple in the uh, third period. One early on, Raquel in the power play, thirty seconds in the third period. But the Ducks pulled out this game. But another interesting game, Eddie. Uh, the ch- all the lineup changes, uh, the way the play went. You know, even the Rangers outshot the Ducks, but uh, the Ducks pulled out this game. Uh, it's it just a weird, weird fashion. But they won this one six to three. Yeah, it was probably the most exciting first period we've seen all season. Uh, I mean, obviously, the Ducks coming out on top 4-2 is, is, makes it a little bit better to see it was kind of back and forth and, and a lot of action in that one. But yeah, you know, I think I think it was a good effort. Uh, obviously, John Gibson comes in and has a great bounce back game. You know, He only lets in three goals on 44 shots again, so that's a, a good game for him to rebound after the one against San Jose. 
and, and yeah, the, the offense came alive, and, and I'm sure Randy Carlisle's patting himself on the back after making all those lineup <laughs> changes, and, and the Ducks come into this one, and they score six goals. But, yeah, every, everything just seemed to click. You know, Perry gets a goal on the power play, so he gets things going for him. J.C. Brown, like you said, got the first goal of the game with a, with a great shot over Lundqvist's shoulder. And, and, you know, for the Ducks to come into this one and chase Lundqvist in the first period, I mean, that's something you don't see often at all. I mean, Lundqvist hasn't been great this season, but for, for you to come in, and, and chase him in the first period and get him pulled. You know, that's uh, credit to, to the way the Ducks came in and prepared to start this game. But, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we talked about the lineup being split up. JT Brown was put on the line with Kessler and Cogliano, and, and he's done well since becoming a Duck so far. And, I mean, I said he wasn't going to be much better than Logan <laughs> Shine, and he's proved me wrong. He's come in and, and been one of the Ducks' best forwards since coming into the lineup and and then obviously like I said Perry getting the power play goal Cogliano gets one Henrique continues playing well gets the shorthanded one and then throwing a goal from uh, Raquel and Getzloff to finish off the game so everybody really getting goals in this one yeah this game was very entertaining I mean the first period to see that many goals I mean that's that's something we don't see too often so he had a lot of that going on the uh the Ducks also did well uh, on the special teams. You know, they got uh, two power play goals on six opportunities, which was huge. Uh, the faceoff circle, they just dominated. They won 60% of the faceoffs in this game. So definitely a good effort, uh, the way the Ducks played. And like you said, too, they knocked out the King. I mean, and not only did they knock him out, they knocked him out in the first period. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's that's pretty good. When you can take uh, Lundqvist out early in the game, um, that's just huge. So this was a game that we talked about that – that was going to be a, you know, we thought uh, at least a pretty tough game. And, and the ducks ended up uh, with that lineup change. They took out the Rangers. And uh, as we talked about, Carlisle kept those lines together. The ducks then had another tough opponent, uh, the jets, the jets have been doing pretty well, obviously in the central division, uh, battling it out at the top spot up there. And this game, uh, this was one, maybe the ducks could have played a, a, a little bit better in just a few areas, but it was a seesaw battle. It seemed like every time somebody scored, then the other team scored. And, uh, you know, the Jets started off the scoring. Henrique got another goal a couple of minutes later, as we talked about. He's been on fire. Uh, Richie got a goal. Um, then, of course, the Jets score, and then the Ducks score, and the Jets score. I mean, it's just like back and forth, back and forth in this game. And the Ducks ended up pulling this one out in the shootout. Uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, Gibson uh, did go down. Uh, Wheeler, incidentally, crashed into him. You know, on accident, and uh, looked like Gibson's knee kind of buckled a little bit on the play, so he had to go out. Miller came in, kind of a weird thing. Miller doesn't face any shots in regulation. He doesn't face any shots in the three-on-three, but he gets the win. <laughs> he only faces, you know, the shots and the shootout, which was pretty crazy. They've talked about that. Uh, the stat keepers up there are saying that that's only the uh, the sixth time it's happened. Uh, I guess according to Elias Sports, so a really crazy stat line there, but. The Ducks end up pulling out this one, Eddie, and they get the two points in a game that uh, they probably uh, you know, would have won if not for a few uh, bad turnovers, especially on the first two Jets goals. Yeah, and you know this is one of the best teams in the Western Conference, let alone the NHL as well. The, the Jets have been a big surprise this year and, and have really dominated the Central Division, which is, which is crazy considering how good the Central Division is. And, and the Ducks came into this one and just outplayed them. And like you said, other than a, f- a few turnovers that led to goals, the Ducks really should have won this game easily. 
Um, and it's just unfortunate. You know, obviously it's great to come away with the two points, but they made it, they made it so difficult for themselves to get the two points in this one. Uh, I mean, the line of goal, bad to- bad turnover, Brandon Tanev goal, bad turnover, and even the last goal was off turnover mm-hmm. as well. And you know, the, this should have been an easier the easier game. The Ducks controlled play five on five throughout the entire game, and even got better as the game progressed. It's just those those bad turnovers that that led to goals that, that hurt the Ducks, and and you know they end up going into f- to a three-on-three overtime, and they actually played well. Uh, for like the first time we've seen them play in overtime this year, that they've actually dominated play. They they took their time. They they exited the zone, came back in, waited for guys to change, and they got a lot of good opportunities. Uh, you know, they end up couldn't beat Hellebuck in the end, but they they end up getting the two points in the shootout. But uh, it just just made it so difficult for themselves in this <laughs> game. But hey, you came up with the two points, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. They ended up, you know, squeaking it out there. I, you know, I was amazed sitting there watching the uh, the overtime. I, it was just weird because the Ducks basically played like a keep away game, and I'm like, why can't they do this all the time? Like they're they're <laughs> they're, they're, they're sitting there, like you said, you know, they're they've got somebody's got the puck. There's another guy on the ice. The third guy goes and changes out. Um, they they would circle in. If it wasn't good, they'd come back out of the zone. They change another player. They they did that. I mean, I want to say for two or three minutes of that overtime, and they just tired out the Jets. I really thought the Ducks were going to get a goal in the overtime. The way that they, I mean, they, I don't know if the Jets were just tired or what, but they really manhandled them in that overtime. Um, you know, they didn't. The Jets didn't even get a shot on goal. Uh, I mean, that was just crazy. And we've seen it before, and we've talked about this a bazillion times how the Ducks are terrible in the three-on-three. I honestly, Eddie, I think in all the three-on-threes we've seen. Um, you know, other than ones where they scored goals and won, but in ones where they ended in a tie like this, um, I, I thought it was one of the best ones I've ever seen them play, uh, three on three. Even the ones they've scored in one, I think this, you know, they end up not getting a goal, obviously, in, in three on three, but this is still one of the better times that, that they've had in overtime. Even even games they've won in overtime. I mean, they just controlled play. They they kept things simple. They if they if it wasn't looking good, they didn't try and force the pass. They came out of the zone, made a change, came back in, looked for the the safe pass. And and I you know it's disappointing they didn't score. Obviously they you know they end up winning the game, so it doesn't matter. But if this is something they can continue to do, and and you know they haven't played three on three since. It's only been a couple games. But if they can come up in the next few games that they they have overtime and play this well, you know finally we might see. Uh, their overtime woes uh, go the other way. So hopefully, hopefully it's a trend that uh, we can see continue. Yeah, I mean, I was I was just amazed. I was happy, and then of course, you know, Miller had to come in, and then he he did what he always almost always does, you yeah. know, because um, he's just one of the best in the shootouts. So uh, good game for the Ducks. Like you said, some bad turnovers. Um, you know, they outshot Winnipeg. They only held the Jets to twenty seven shots, which is really good. Like we talked about, the Jets being one of the best teams. Um, in the Western Conference and the league. So they did good in that sense. The Ducks uh, came up short in the power play. They had four chances, didn't score. Uh, another thing in this game was kind of interesting was Kessler's goal, Eddie. Um, he got the puck and turned and fired it. I remember we were sitting there and we were like, uh, how did that go in? Like, <laughs> it was kind of a, a strange goal. I mean, he just turns and wheels it and it, and it just ends up going in. Um, you know, it proves, like they said, sometimes just shoot the puck, you know. So. That was a. Uh, it would have been the game-winning goal, but of course the Jets came back and, and scored right away. So, a very uh, entertaining game again. Uh, this was also the Ducks' 500th home win at Honda Center, Eddie. 
Yeah, and if things couldn't get crazier, I mean, uh, Wheeler ends up wiping out and taking John Gibson out of the game at the time, and we thought, uh, you know, it didn't look good because rarely does Gibby leave the game if, if he thinks he could stay in. Um, and it looked pretty bad, to be honest. I mean, Wheeler toe-picks in front of the net and, and takes out Gibson's knee, it looks like, and, you know, this is going right into the All-Star break, so we were all panicking, thinking Gibson's going to be out long-term, and, you know, like you said, Miller does come in, doesn't face a shot, still gets the win, but... You know, to add to all the the craziness of this game and then the things going on, you know, Gibby ends up getting hurt, and then at the time we didn't know how for how long. Yeah, and it was kind of, uh, I guess, good timing, like you said, because the All Star break came up. There, you know, obviously, you know, that weekend off, and there's literally no news about Gibson during this time. We're all like, okay, <laughs> we, I mean, we're pretty much, uh, you know, thinking it's a knee, the way that the crash happened and everything. So. You know, there's a break there, and then we focus on the um, the All Star game, which I I like. I like the format. You know, I like how they do the three on three. I like how they have the division teams in each conference play, and then and then the um, the winners of each play. You know, basically a three game, uh, three on three tournament, if you will, for the All Star game. And uh, I was happy to see how well Raquel did in this, uh, Eddie, especially in the, in the um, the final game. You know, he had two goals in there and assist. We posted some of the videos up there on Twitter and Facebook. Um, so I, I liked it. It was very, very entertaining. Of course, uh, Raquel didn't get the MVP, which, you know, I don't know, goes to the fan vote or whatever. Uh, I still think that he should have been considered stronger, and that is the only thing. But, again, it's the Ducks, and, you know, <laughs> you know how that goes. Anaheim against the world, right? And not everybody is big fans of us. But what did you think of the All-Star weekend? Uh, it was pretty entertaining in my mind. Yeah, you know, I think it was better than recent years, but – you know, it just sometimes it just feels forced, I guess. Like the the skills competition almost seems to get worse almost every year. It, you know, the, <laughs> they they introduced the the technology this year, so they took out the styrofoam, uh, the styrofoam and the accuracy shooting contest, and they had a couple new things. You have the the goalie save streak, which is essentially just the shootout competition. They just changed a couple things around and and lauded it as a new event and. They had the the relay where now you have to flip the puck up and, and put it through the lights. That one was kind of interesting. Of course, they kept the the hardest shot, fastest shooter, or sorry, fastest skater and and, and hardest shot. But you know, I am. Um, I think it was it was fun to watch. Uh, I find it hard for myself to c- just continually stay engaged throughout the entire All Star game. And it's been like that for I don't know four or five seasons. It just seems like it struggles to keep people invested in. And I don't know if it's the the players ain't fight or the the way they present it or, or whatever but you know the last one I remember having a lot of fun watching is when they did the the player draft where they did that on TV and Kessel was like the last guy picked and everybody made fun of him oh, right. in the car or something that's the last time I remember actually being engaged <laughs> in the All Star game but you know as for the game I, I think the game was a little bit better I missed a little bit of of the first game and then I caught the last one where Raquel the, in the final game where Raquel had two goals and an assist and honestly was surprised that the Pacific Division ended up winning it. I thought the, the Central, because of how stacked they were, were, were going to have a chance, or the Atlantic, because uh, the four Lightning players would just go off being in Tampa Bay. But, yeah, I think it was great. Um, disappointed that Raquel didn't get the, the MVP, like you said. But when it comes down to a fan vote, I think there was a lot more people who were going to vote for Brock Besser over Raquel, and obviously Brock Besser gets the MVP. Not that it was necessarily undeserving, because Brock Besser did have a good two games as well. Uh, but Raquel was arguably the best player in that last game, so a little bit disappointing. But like you said, he's a Ducks player. It's going to be hard for him to get votes to begin with. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, one other thing I, I'm sure a lot of you out there thought that was kind of weird in, in this was Drew Doughty playing with Raquel, Eddie, and, and then, then high-fiving <laughs> each other, yeah. high-fiving each other. Like, I remember people were like, I remember seeing some of the photos on Twitter and then just seeing the reactions where I was sitting there like, really? Did you ever think that Drew Doughty and <laughs> Ricardo Raquel would high-five each other on a play? I mean, <laughs> obviously it's not going to happen in the regular season. I really doubt either one is going to the other team. But that was kind of weird for me, too. I just sitting there going, really? Like, I don't know. Like, you're just you're so used to as a Duck fan, you know, that you just, you just love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're yeah. just tired, you know, and, and seeing the way. I mean, uh, of course, he's a good player and he gets under your skin, you know. So I just, that was just something for me that I, I noticed that a lot of fans had reacted to. And I, I agree, it's just like awkward. <laughs> I don't know, what would you think, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, you're never going to see that other than an all-star game. So I think it was... A little bit weird, and I mean Raquel played on the line with Doughty and Anze Kopitar, so that's even weirder, I guess, if you want to consider that. But you know, I think if uh, to top it all off, if it was Perry who was there high fiving Doughty, <laughs> I think I think that might be a little bit. I don't know if that even would have happened if it was Perry and Doughty. I think they still would have been, you know, they would have been having fun, and of course they've they've played together before Team Canada, but still, I think it would have been a little bit less happy if it was those two on the ice. <laughs> Yeah, well, they, I mean, they hang out, you know, off ice too. But I mean, yeah, it, it definitely people would have been all the Kings fans would have been like, "What the hell, <laughs> Perry?" You know, we would have been like, "What with Dowdy?" I don't know. But yeah, that was kind of kind of awkward, you know, th- that part of it. Uh, you know, obviously enjoyed watching Raquel and how well he did, and then seeing the Pacific team win. So that was all good. But yeah, so I mean, that was All Star Weekend. You know, uh, like you said, the skills competition. I agree with you. It's kind of like, eh. I honestly didn't watch a whole lot of that. Uh, I'm not really, I don't know. Some of it to me is just kind of like, yeah, it's okay. You know, and other parts of it yeah. are somewhat exciting. I mean, Raquel was in there on some of it, so it made it a little bit more interesting. But uh, I agree with you. The, the skills part maybe needs a little bit uh, changing. I, I do like the three-on-three tournament, though. So it's a little bit uh, more exciting. So, But that was the All-Star weekend, and the Ducks came out of that uh, this week. They played Boston. We didn't know what was going to happen with Gibson. Then we hear, well, he's just starting. He's fine. <laughs> We're like, okay, so nothing's wrong with him. Um, and, uh, like the Jets, Boston has been playing super well. They um, they were eight zero and two in their last ten. They had an eighteen point game streak uh, entering this game. Um, another one where you thought, okay, I wonder how the Ducks are going to do in this one, and and they actually did pretty well, Eddie. Uh, you know, they got two goals right off the bat in the first period. Um, the Bruins did get a late goal, made you know a little bit of nervous time, uh, but you know the Ducks still pulled this one out three to one. Henrique had two goals in this game. And uh, a, a, a good game uh, for the Ducks. Uh, you know, the only bad part, of course, Eddie, is Gibson goes down in this game and Miller had to come back in. So kind of back to the drawing board in that situation. But uh, a good win against another solid team in the league. Yeah, and even with Marchand out of the lineup, obviously, you know, he, if you didn't know, he was suspended for, for an elbow. So he's out for, for five games. I think he's, that was his second game served of the five-game suspension. So he was out. Charlie McAvoy was out who uh, eats the, the second most minutes 
for the Bruins on the blue line. So they had a couple guys out, and Tuka Rask didn't start. It was a uh, Ducks legend Anton Hudobin who was in, <laughs> who was in that for for the Bruins in this one. So they they had a lot of things going against them, but this is still a great team. Uh, I mean, like you said, they they're fourteen zero and four in their last eighteen games. Uh, I think it was uh, the, I had to watch the Boston feed unfortunately when I was watching the game, so I had to deal with Jack Edwards, and it was a little bit disappointing. But they were saying it was uh, I think the the longest point streak since the '60s. So the the Bruins have been on fire in their last eighteen games um and i was surprised the way the ducks started this game uh you know about until five minutes into the second period it was all ducks they they controlled the game they had the first two goals the first period was theirs completely five minutes into the second period they were still playing well and then the bruins flipped the switch and they pretty much controlled the rest of the game uh and and that's the type of hockey they play. I mean, they control play five at five on five. They they've done that all season. Bergeron and Pasternak were playing with Danton Heinen and Jake DeBrusque was up there a couple of times on their line, and and they controlled play for the rest of the game pretty much from that point on. And, and I think the Ducks did something we haven't seen them do with a lead for a while, and they're actually able to hold on. Um, and not allow a goal until obviously the, the the net was empty for Boston late in the last final minute of the third period. But I think it was a good effort for them to hold on. It, it's a tough team. It's one of the best teams in the NHL, especially the best team uh, in the last 18 to 20 games. Like I said, they they hadn't lost in regulation until this one. So a gutsy effort to to you know to take that two nothing lead, hold on, and and get the two points in this one. I think you talk about holding on, and I, I think some of you out there will agree with me on this. Is that's when I get nervous. I, I, I yeah. like when the Ducks, of course, get a lead early. Obviously, I mean anybody on any team that you like, of course, when you get a lead uh, coming out of the first period, whether it's a one goal or two or three goals, or you know in this game it was two. But that's I think one critique that we've talked about with this Ducks team is that it seems like they'll get a lead, and then they'll be fine either you know halfway through the game maybe through two periods and then the third period is kind of like okay we're just gonna you know hang on to the lead uh and it just drives me nuts i can't stand that like it's like you know sitting there yelling at the tv or you're at the game and the fans near me are yelling too you know attack attack go that way go that way you know everybody's getting all you know pissed off because they'll play 30 or 40 minutes have a lead uh they'll be working the four check like you talked about they'll play well five on five and then it's like they get into like a comfort zone on sometimes later on. And I mean, granted, this is Boston, and they play in a really good you know team that's I mean been on a cr- just a crazy streak, which we uh, took out, which was great. You know that the Ducks were able to do that. But I get a little nervous with that, Eddie. I just wish the Ducks would still at least create some opportunities when they do get a lead. Not this game was a little bit weird because it was the second period, but usually we've seen that in the third period this season where you're kind of sitting there going, okay, Ducks, you know, generate some offense. Don't just just rely on hanging back and hoping that Gibson or Miller is going to win the rest of the the, the way. Yeah, and I, I was honestly surprised the Ducks were even able to dictate play for the the time that they did. Uh, they were playing, they were beating Boston at their own game for twenty five minutes of this game, which is impressive, especially the the way Boston is set up. But yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of the credit has to go to John Gibson in this game. Another unbelievable game for him. Unfortunately, he left the game with an injury, which we still haven't heard too much of an update on, so we don't really have any news on that. But he was stellar in this game. He made a lot of great saves. There was uh, one where Pasternak had a two-on-one, uh, decided to shoot it, and, and Gibson just got a small piece of it and was able to fight it off. And, you know, he got hurt 
off a uh, it looked like off a bridge run shot but i i think he ended up getting like overstretching or something it looks like a groin or a knee we'll get into that a little bit later and, and i'm sure there's some questions about it but yeah he he gutted it out he was clearly in pain for for most of the third period was still making save after save try to stack the pads which fowler blocked over the net too with this apparent injury and he just fought it out and he's always done that i, I mean anytime he's injured he tries to stay in the game if he can and I think when he was eventually pulled out, I'm sure that was a, a coaching or trainer decision because he probably would have stayed in if he could have. Yeah, and and who knows? Maybe it could have been worse because we know in the past that he's had some kind of groin issue pulls here and there. And, I mean, that's not uncommon for a lot of goalies. We've seen that. Obviously, they're doing the splits. They're doing the half splits. You know, They're doing all the stuff, bending all these different ways, trying to make saves and different things that had happened. So hopefully it's not that. But, you know, if it is, I wouldn't be too surprised. Um but yeah, another good game. The Ducks pull us out as we talked about before. They're they're tied with the Kings and the Sharks now in the Pacific. They're fighting it out. Obviously, a couple games uh, more played, so that kind of works against them. But the Ducks, you know, with this new lineup, I mean, they've won three in a row now. So they they going with this forward uh, uh, group that they've got, you know switched on the right wing there in all four of the spots and it's worked, and um, it's been good. So the Ducks um, still fighting it out. And they're going to have some uh, key games that we'll talk about coming up here in this week. But, I, you know, one thing I did want to talk about in this game that was funny, it's kind of a little segment on, on, on the fans, I guess. Uh, I guess the, uh, the, the lone brave fan at the, the game there in Boston that he, he catches the uh, puck. Um, I forgot. Someone sent us the video. We uh, retweeted it. And uh, <laughs> not only does the fan catch the puck, he's wearing all orange. Mind you, he's in Boston. And he turns around just like, gets all crazy and i was just like wow eddie uh, I, I i give him a brave award uh for fans i don't know if i would do that i mean i definitely would catch the puck and be excited but <laughs> boston's a tough crowd eddie so i give the guy credit for uh you know holding it up there and being like look at me guys <laughs> especially because the ducks won too to top it all off too he was wearing a kessler jersey so he was just antagonizing the crowd <laughs> in the perfect jersey too and you know he catches the puck turns around and just taunts the fans and and <laughs> There's a chorus of boos that, that rained down on him, and it was just great. I mean, he was a hero for that game because right away you go on Twitter and there was a thousand GIFs of, of, uh, GIFs of him with uh, with him celebrating with the puck, and it made it onto Sportsnet and, and up here, and it was pretty much everywhere. So he was he was the Ducks' hero of that game, and I'm going to credit him with the reason they were able to hold on and, and win this game. But, yeah, I mean, he was great. Uh, to You know, we saw... A fan earlier this week. I can't remember what game it was, but he had a beer on yes. the uh, the side part of the the, the boards, and the that's boards. where you never yeah. want to leave a beer. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't know what game it was. I can't remember, but I remember seeing it, and, and two players collide into the boards and knock his beer over. And obviously, he's not happy because that's probably about twenty dollars down the drain. But <laughs> let's be honest: if you're gonna leave your beer on the side of the boards, you're pretty much guaranteed that it's gonna get knocked over at some point. So I don't think he really has any any reason to get mad. Yeah, that that that's our bonehead uh, fan award for this week. Uh, that was on the uh, the NHL's Twitter. And uh, I remember it was Ottawa, Minnesota, Eddie. That was the game. Oh, okay, okay. That's what it was. But, right, they show this fan. He's sitting in the corner, and a couple of the players run over there. And then all of a sudden, you see the beer fall back on his hand, and it looks like his right pant leg. And then the funny part is, is if you missed it, you got to go back and watch it. You, you see the guy stand up. The look on his face is just priceless. He's just so pissed off. It's hilarious. <laughs> and then there's a guy sitting like 
two or three seats to the left, and he's just he's just laughing his ass off. I mean, it's well, just he knows. Too, <laughs> but oh yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, that, that, there's just one rule in hockey when you sit on the boards. You never. Even if it's not a beer, any kind of drink, you don't put your drink on the ledge during the game. Come on now. You know that the something's going to happen. Someone's going to run by you. The boards are going to shake when the puck hits it or a check. I mean, come on, man. The bonehead award right there for that fan. But if you missed it, it's on the NHL Twitter. Uh, I want to say maybe like five or six days ago. It's pretty funny. I think we quoted it too, so it might be on our timeline. Uh, oh, I think we t- tweeted it out uh, with a quote saying, rookie mistake. That's what we had put on there. So. <laughs> So those are some of our fan uh, awards that uh, we're giving out for this past week. But, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, don't ever do that. Don't put your beer on the boards. Come on, man. Plus, it's overpriced, as we all know anyway. So um, with that, we'll go with our uh, fan question uh, segment. We've got plenty of good questions. Um, we'll start off. We actually have a couple, Eddie, about Henrique. And also ties into Silverberg. We had uh, Larry asks us about um, both of the players and if we'd be able to keep both for long-term deals. I mean, obviously there's a lot of uh, other factors to consider with the cap, all the RFAs and things that are going to come up in the summer and the trade deadline, which is, is coming up. But um, he thinks that we can't afford both. So if we had to choose one, who would you go with? And I think that's a tough question because I would have said, obviously in the beginning I would have said Silverberg, but the way uh, Henrique is playing, um, I, I would lean towards Henrique. But it's tough. I like both of them, Eddie. Yeah, it's it's definitely tough. You know, Silverberg hasn't had a great season offensively this year, so it's it's easy to say, yeah, we'll we'll go for Henrique and, and we'll bring him back. But you know, I I don't see that it's impossible to bring both of them back. You know, Silverberg's making three point seven five uh, until twenty twenty nineteen twenty twenty, and uh, Henrique uh, is UFA at the same time, and he's making four million. Um, by the time you know, by the time they're up, the cap will have increased uh, by a, a significant amount, at least. Uh, and you would expect that they would want to bring both of them back. You don't know the state of the Ducks roster, but it's most likely going to look pretty similar to this, obviously, because Raquel is signed past that. Kessler, Cor- uh, Kessler, Getzlaff, and Corey Perry are all signed past that point. Eves is signed past that point if if he's able to return. Cogliano is signed past that point, and then obviously on defense you've got Lindholm, Fowler. And Manson, and presumably after this season, Montour, who will all be locked down after that point as well. So the team will look relatively the same two years from now. Um, and whether they have the cap space or not, it, it's hard to really decide. I think, and I think just by looking at the the players the Ducks have in their system, that they would rather try and keep around a guy like Jakob Silverberg. They're a little bit short on players who can play wing. Obviously, Max Jones and and and. Uh, and Maxime Comtois are, are two guys you can play uh, on the left wing. Comtois can also play in the right and sometimes in center. So you've got some wingers coming up. Steele projected as most likely a guy who's going to play center in the National Hockey League. You've got Antoine Moran, who is a center in the Quebec, uh, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, but he could play wing as well. But I think, you know, Henrik's been great. But I, I think if I had to choose one, I'd, ha- I'd have to choose... Jakob Silverberg, and I think that's just to keep together Cogliano, Kessler, and Silverberg, and and really keep that line going a couple seasons from now. But it's tough. I mean, Henrik's been great. He's on a six-game point streak. He's got six goals, two assists, and and this is the second streak he's had since coming to the Ducks, and and he's been a revelation. You know, he's a, a he's really the the most productive guy the Ducks have had on their bottom six in, in a while, and you know, since pretty much 
I'd have to look at it to be 100% sure, but really since Nick Benino and, and the, the production he had in the Ducks' bottom six. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Henrique, too, I mean, 11 goals, 6 assists, and 26 games. I mean, he's up there. I mean, the only other ones uh, with more goals are Raquel, Silverberg, and Casse. And, I mean, technically, I mean, Henrique has more goals than that because, uh, you know, obviously would have come over in the trade. But, I mean, he's one of the Ducks' top scorers right now, and the, and the Ducks have been doing well since he's come over. Um, I don't have the exact stat. I have to look it up. But I know that since he's joined the Ducks, uh, it's, the Ducks have been on the positive side of that trade, which was another fan question, is, is Botnan's, you know, not done as well with New Jersey. So um, he's looking good. Um, I, I think that um, another question, uh, kind of similar Chris asked too, is will Henry, you know, be given a long-term deal? And I think you pretty much covered all of that. Um, but I, I would think that they would. But it's really going to come up to the uh, the trade deadline and what they're going to do, which we've talked about that. We have a couple more questions about, you know, are the Ducks going to do anything? What are some moves? You and I have talked about it on, I think, maybe the last two or three podcasts. So there's not really a whole lot to discuss. Again, I don't really see a whole lot going on, especially with the way things are going now. I think you and I um, talked about it. And really the big area to address would be more of the defense, if anything, right now. Uh, as we talked about with Bosham and then Bieksa being that third pairing, and then obviously Holzer rotating in, uh, would be something that the Ducks might do, Eddie, um, on, as far as on defense coming up. But other, otherwise, I would think that the Ducks would try and extend him. Um, but, you know, things can change. So it's good. we'll have to see what happens as this season unfolds. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing to note uh, in regards to either Adam Henrique or Jakob Silverberg getting long term contract extensions when their current deals are up is you got to look at some guys who are going to be uh, almost on their uh, entry-level contracts at that point, guys that you we hope will do well for the Ducks in their, the next few seasons, and they could be due for a, a, at least a, a little bit of a raise or, or a significant raise, depending on how well they play. And those three guys are Max Jones who's and uh, Sam Steele and Jakob Larson. And all of their entry-level contracts are up at the same year, which is in 2020-2021, which is a, se- uh, a season after... Um, Henrik and Silverberg's contracts expire. So that's something they'd have to take into consideration as well. If Sam Steele makes the team next year, the year after, and starts putting up, I don't want to project how many points he can put up, but if he starts producing at the same level that he's producing in the, uh, the WHL or, or anywhere close to that, you know, putting up 40, 50 points a season, he's going to be due for a raise after his entry-level contract. Max Jones, depending on his play, could be. And if Jakob Larson eventually makes the team and, and either jumps into the Ducks' top four or solidifies a spot on their top, uh, top six on defense, then it'll be interesting to see what kind of raise those guys get. And obviously that comes into consideration when you're looking at extending guys like Adam Henrique and Jakob Silverberg. Definitely. And, and you know, to touch on that, too, uh, I looked up that stat. I couldn't remember what it was. But with Henrique on the Ducks, Eddie, the Ducks are 14-7-5 in those 26 games. So, you know, obviously you got to throw that in there and look at it. I mean, not one player makes a team, of course, but that's definitely a key factor. And then, of course, like you said, Silverberg, Cogliano, and uh, Kessler on that line as well. So some things to consider, some things to think about for sure. But I, I would like – if we could, my answer would be keep both. But, you know, that's not always going to be the way it's going to work out, especially with the finances. And like you said, you've got Steele and Jones, these other guys coming up that are going to be dynamite. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. 
some of the other questions, it looks like we covered more, but I think you had one or two more questions, Eddie, that we can answer. Yeah, I, I got asked a, a couple questions on Twitter uh, about a week ago before, so I just saved them in here because I knew they'd come up probably. So uh, same person, Erhick, on Twitter asked me two questions. So the first one uh, pertaining to Jakob Silverberg, so it's a little bit relevant from the last question we had, was do you think he'll ever be a 30-40 to 40 goal scorer or is he kind of is what he is now in that checking role? And, and that's kind of interesting because we brought this up I don't know, it's probably last year or two years ago. It seems to come up at the beginning of every season if you and me think Silverberg can finally hit 30 to 40 goals. And I think every time we've said yes, and he's never come out to that. So do you think he still has that potential? Or now at 27, is he kind of at where he's at? See, and that's what I factor into my decision why I'm kind of leaning more towards Henrique. Because I, I, I know you and I were really high on Silverberg. We thought he would get that you know, high of a number as far as you know, his goal totals. And like you said, it hasn't been there. I mean, this season he's got 12. You know, he could maybe um, get 20, 25, we hope. Um, but then it's also the, the part that's difficult is then you got to, like he's, they're talking about, is the defensive value of Silverberg. So I guess you got to kind of weigh it out. Um, Henrique does bring the value of playing center too. So they're a little bit different you know what i mean in terms of how you'd weigh him out i i would lean uh more towards henrique just because of his value as being center and whatnot but it's tough eddie like you said you can't discount silverberg's role on that line with kessler but as we've seen right now he hasn't been on that line it's been brown so if it stays like that the rest of the season it kind of gives me a little bit more towards hey you know i'd, I'd keep henrique but of course, Silverberg is a fan favorite, and, and, and you know we like him as well. So I, I would go with Henrique at this point right now. But like I said, in a perfect world, I keep both. Yeah, and do, do you think he ever can hit 30? Do you think he ever gets 30 or 40? <sighs> you and I talked about this before. I really uh, would think that he would, but I don't think he does. I, I think Silverberg will get somewhere between 20 or 25. Yeah. For the next couple seasons, that that's what I think. Yeah, he, he seems like that type of player who will be one of those guys who can hit 20 pretty much every season. Um, and then maybe he'll have that one season where everything just clicks and because of his release and, and you know he can get to I think he can I think he has the the ability to get to 30. Yes. Yes. Uh, but not a perennial 30 goal scorer. I think he'll you know I don't want to compare him to anybody but uh, I you know a guy like you know they're not similar in, in the way they play, but Michael Grabner is a guy that usually gets twenty every season, and then one season he'll hit thirty or forty, just because of the, the the season he had. Just had a great season. I think that's the type of production you could see from Jakob Silverberg. Jakob Silverberg, sorry, but there's nothing wrong with getting twenty goals every season. I no, mean, that's great not. production, and that's something yes. the Ducks could use. So I think that's something you have to take into account as well. Uh, the second question, not related, but from Erhick as well is uh, who is one player you wish the Ducks could have held on to from recent past? And he named some like Ryan, uh, Bobby Ryan, Matt Bileski, Haglin, uh, and his pick was Kyle Palmieri. So who would who would you wish the Ducks could have held on to? That That's a big one. Uh, you know, Kyle Palmieri, obviously when he went over to New Jersey and all that happened, everybody was upset. So, I mean, that one was a tough one. Uh, I know another one uh, you and I talked about was Shea Theodore. Um, that was one that if, we kept him though would have caused some issues on the defense um honestly the one that i've been looking at eddie is william carlson i mean this guy has just gone off in vegas and um 
I mean, of course, we don't know if he would have had the same production on the Ducks, but I mean, man, if he would have had anything close to that, that would have been huge for Anaheim. So, um, Wild Bill is the guy that I would pick right now. Yeah, and you know, when I answered him on Twitter, I said, I, "For me, it's either William Carlson or Shea Theodore." And and you look at Shea Theodore, and you kind of say, "Well, somebody was going." You know, it's either Vaughn, right. Manson, Theodore, Montour. Somebody had to go. Uh, in that situation, so it's hard to say. Yeah, Shea Theodore is an easy one, but you look at William Carlson, and, and I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, it, it's a trade that at the time it made sense. We're making a push for the playoffs, needed some help on defense, so bringing a guy like James Wisniewski, dumping Rene Bork's contract, it, it all kind of made sense. But now you look at it and you say, well, look at what Carlson's doing with Vegas and, and how well Crazy. he's playing, the amount of goals Crazy. he's scoring. You know, the Ducks could use a guy like that on their second or third line or, or even, I mean, imagine Getzlaff playing with, I know Carlson's the center, but imagine Getzlaff playing with Carlson and Raquel right now, how great that would be to, and the production from that line and, and how much of a boost he would be to this lineup. And, and nobody knew he was going to be anything close to what he's doing right now at that point. And it was really either him or Raquel, if you if you think way back to, to when yeah. that trade was made. It, you know, Raquel was just breaking onto the scene. So was Carlson, and, you know, it was kind of which one is going to be the better pick. And, of course, we're all happy they held on to, to Ricard Raquel. But just imagine what uh, what this Ducks team could look like if they had both of them, or if they had Raquel and Carlson in the lineup. You know, I hate these questions sometimes, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate these ones because you look at – if you're not following Carlson right now, or maybe you're not following the Vegas Knights because they're in first and, of course, they're trying to catch them, which is going to be tough, but he's played 49 games, and he's got 44 points, 27 goals, 17 assists. I mean, tearing it up is to put it mildly. I mean, he's doing awesome. So, uh, of course, like we said, to, to have known that he would do that in Vegas and all that, I mean, that's you know before we even knew Vegas was a team. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. But it's tough when you're, when you're talking about Raquel and Carlson. Of course, I'm happy we have Raquel. And, and again, like I said, if we could have both, I'd have both. Just like I want to have Silverberg and Henrique going forward having both. You know, it's, it's tough. I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't want to be a GM. <laughs> Playing armchair GM is kind of something we do on some of these shows. We'll talk about some of these moves and things like that. And, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you make these moves. And just with players in general, uh, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's just like the draft, too, Eddie. You draft a player. You think he's going to be awesome. And then he's either okay or he's terrible. And then you pick some other guy that that you have, you know, some hope for, and then he becomes a star. I mean, it, it's it's tough. It's a tough job, and and trying to decide who to pick. I mean, ugh, it's just it's just it's it's difficult. But yeah, Carlson's the one man that he's just been tearing it up, Eddie. Yeah, and you never know, like you said. I mean, when that trade was made, you know, Carlson was playing well, but not anywhere close to what he is now, and nobody knew that he yeah. was going to come out and, and have this type of season with, with Vegas. He was not he was doing okay in Columbus, too, but he wasn't doing this. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's just the fact that his role's been elevated, and he's essentially playing on a first line with Jonathan March so as well. You know, he's finally yes. been, get, been able to get those minutes to show what he can do. And, and whether this is something he can do for the rest of his career, I don't know. The whole team in Vegas is playing great, and everybody's playing, I think, above their natural ability. But... You know, I, I kudos to him and, and and the way that he's played and and for for Vegas to go get him from from Columbus and for Columbus to leave him exposed, I'm sure they're a little bit unhappy right now. And and then again, you look at the Florida Panthers giving pretty much handing Vegas Jonathan Marshall show and Riley Smith. 
So yeah, I mean they got a little bit lucky, I guess you could say. So yep, their their top six essentially was handed to them by two teams. But uh, just to finish out the fan questions here, I'm gonna mail in my own question. Two, <laughs> one two things I noticed from, or sorry, one thing I noticed from two games: the game against the the Rangers, the game against the Jets, were the disparity and what's considered a penalty shot in the National yes. Hockey League now. <laughs> uh, I'm, there was there were similar plays in in those back to back games where the Ducks had a breakaway. Uh, was either I don't know the, I can't remember the exact plays and, and which player it was, but they had two the, a breakaway in each of those games, clear cut breakaway where either the a penalty was taken by a Rangers player, and you know there there was a penalty a minor called on the play, but they were both clear cut breakaways and and then you look and there was a game I think it was either the same night or the night after where Toronto played Chicago, and uh, Nylander got a penalty shot on a clear cut breakaway, in overtime. And he was given the penalty shot and ended up scoring and winning the game. And I'm not saying it's a Ducks versus Leafs and the the team this team gets more penalty shots than the other one. I think it's just it's becomes inconsistent in what's considered a penalty shot. I don't even know what's considered a penalty shot because I assumed it was if you're in a clear cut breakaway and a player interferes with that with any kind of penalty slashing, hooking, holding, tripping, whatever, then it's a penalty shot. And it's not just in Ducks games. It just kind of came up like that it was back-to-back games, so it popped in my head. But I've seen it multiple times this season where a guy's on a breakaway, clear-cut, and is it's interfered with, and no, no penalty shot. Like, I, I don't even know what a penalty shot is anymore. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's weird sometimes watching these games, and most of the time I'll give the refs the credit. They do at least call a penalty <clears throat> on it uh, most of the time. Obviously, there's a couple times they don't, but... I think they get it right in at least doing that, but I agree with you. It seems like what is or isn't a penalty shot is kind of up in the air because if a player has the defender behind him, nobody in between himself and the goalie, and he's going to make a shot, and that player behind him in some way interferes with the shot, whether it's hooking, holding, tripping, whatever it is, um, that's pretty much my understanding of what a penalty shot is. But like you said, sometimes you watch these plays and they'll call the hooking. And, you know, especially to me, like if a player has that opportunity and they don't even get the shot off at all, I mean, that to me is just a straight up automatic penalty shot. It doesn't matter if it was a hooking or a tripping or whatever they did, holding. I mean, that should be automatic. If they get the shot off, then. Um, you know, it's to me, it still should be. I mean, even if they're interfered with, but I don't know if that's what the refs are looking at or, or whatnot. Because it seems like sometimes when a player is actually, you know, gets the shot, they'll just call the two-minute penalty instead. It's just something I've kind of noticed here and there. But like you said, there it, there isn't really uh, any hard or fast like patterns I've seen. It's just it's something that you know, like you said, Eddie. It's it's I don't know. It's just inconsistent. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of it comes down to the fact you see it a lot in, in soccer with with penalty shots given. Uh, you know, sometimes refs, if a ball hits a, a player's hand in soccer, they'll, if it's intentional, they'll give a penalty shot. If they deem it not intentional, then play will it'll play on. And, and I think a pressure comes into play in, in both of those situations. You know, if the ref calls a penalty shot in, in hockey or in soccer, you're giving them a free chance at a goal. And, and I think it's a tough call to make. And I think a call that a lot of refs don't want to have to make. I think they'd rather give the two-minute minor, get away with it. You know, the team has a power play. If they score, whatever, it was a penalty, so that's fine. 
Um, I think giving the penalty shot is is just a tough call for a lot of referees to make because it's such a uh, it's such an easy chance at a goal. Essentially, it's such a big play in the game, a game that can you know a play that can change momentum. And it's something that's a little bit more headlining than, of course, a power play. And I think you know that kind of pressure plays a, a big role in whether the ref is going to call a penalty shot or not. I agree, absolutely, and it's something that's uh, should be looked at again. It's something that's a little bit inconsistent uh, in the way it's dealt with. And speaking of inconsistency, Eddie, our uh, friend George Peros was back in the news. He actually decided to speak out about his decision on the Cognato suspension and the fine only on Brown. And if you read the article on NHL.com, I'm sure you were super happy with his explanation. It was super thorough and well-educated. Not. And it's just frustrating, Eddie. I, I think – God, I don't even know where to start with this. But for those of you that didn't read it, please, if you want, go read it. Uh, unless you're going to get upset, then don't, <laughs> which I got upset and I saw a lot of people get upset as well. Uh, I think it would have been better, Eddie, if, if Paris just wouldn't have responded. I really – I think his discussion of it was kind of a circular discussion. So he was saying that the Brown and, and the Colgano hits weren't the same. Uh, duh, they weren't. It should have been the other way around. Um, as we talked about on this show, which a lot of people didn't talk about in the Cognano play, Kempe tries to avoid the check. His own stick hits himself in the nose, which is why it looked a lot worse than it really was. Um, I don't know. It's just uh, I just think that it would have been better not even having a little presser on this Eddie because I just think that it just made it worse than what it already was. It was better if he would have just let it die and move along. Yeah, I, I mean, you're in a position where, you know, essentially you don't have to explain yourself. Uh, right. I mean, you you made the call. You should stand by the call. You shouldn't have to come out and explain yourself, no matter the backlash. And, and I get, you know, maybe his thought process behind it. He's, you know, he sees the backlash, not just from regular people, from guys like Bob McKenzie and Ray, Fer- Ray Ferraro and, and, and other you know, Timu. big guys at Timu and other big guys in the media as well is, you know, I get it. It was a bigger reaction and a lot of it had to do with the streak and everything for, for Cogliano. But, you know, there's no real need for him to come out and say anything. You know, he made a statement by suspending Cogliano, choosing not to suspend Giordano and fining Dustin Brown. You know, there was no and, and say anything because essentially... You know his actions as head of Department of Player Safety should speak for him, and you know I don't really see why he had to. I get his thought process behind it, but it was kind of pointless and, like you said, just kind of walking in circles and telling us something we already really know. Yeah, I just I think it it wasn't beneficial at all. I mean, it just made everybody more irritated. I I think because. You're standing by your decision, which, like you said, I mean, I get that whole point of it. But unless you have something concrete to really add to help make the fans understand why you did what you did, which there's none of that in that article. If you read and see what he says, I, <laughs> there's nothing. I, I don't know. So kind of kind of disappointing. Um, I, I like the fact that he, he thought about it and wanted to make an effort to try and do it. But um, it, it was just a thought, I think, as far as the way it was handled. The delivery was terrible. I just think it was pointless uh, beyond that point. I think if he would have had something to really justify what he was, or or you know what, even Eddie, if he would have come out and said, you know what, yeah, maybe I should have you know done something a little bit this way or that way, not necessarily saying he made a complete mistake, but at least saying, yeah, we should redo some things. But he didn't even do any of that. He's just like, nope, this is my decision, and yeah, you know, the contact here and there and there. And we're like, well, yeah, we saw that, but 
did you not see Brown hit the guy face first into the boards? I mean, that's a lot worse than what Coghlan was hit was i don't care what anybody says whether you're a ducks fan a king's fan any kind of fan uh you watch those plays checking somebody face first while they're on their knees into the boards i mean give me a break that's a super dangerous play where cognano yeah he had a shoulder that got a little high towards the chin area of kempe but like i said his own stick is what caused all the bleeding on his nose and everything like that and it seems like nobody took that into account so you know it's just frustrating i I, i'm hoping that something changes along with like you said the penalty shot thing so um that was kind of the the little bit of news that came out recently this week that you know obviously everybody was just sitting there going okay whatever so um hopefully nothing else will be said and maybe some of the other decisions will be better this season but um with that we'll finish up the show with the the road trip um that's still going on eddie the ducks are going to play uh, ottawa this week they got montreal toronto buffalo some very winnable games, Eddie. The the Ducks, as they're continuing this battle for the wild card or the second or third spot in the Pacific. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, if you look at these four games, uh, it it looks like it, the Ducks should be able to win at least two or three of these. Yeah, I think one thing we just uh, we had to touch on before we move on from from the player safety thing. I think you know a lot of people. Uh, are up in arms about the Nick Ritchie hit in the game oh, right, right. against Boston. I, I mean, you know, it, it's a tough play because if you you look at it from from a couple of angles, you know, you look at it from from the front, and you know, he comes in a little bit late, and it looks like he catches Bacchus in the shoulder. Um, but then you look at it from a different angle from the side, and you know, it kind of looks like he catches him in the head. I, I'm sure you've seen the play a couple times, yep. and. It, you know, it, it's a tough one to call. And, you know, the, the interesting thing, too, is he gets no penalty on the play. And so far, I haven't heard of any supplemental discipline going towards Nick Ritchie at all. And, and you know, I don't think it's an, an easy one to judge. You know, Bacchus kind of whiffs on a pass. And then he kind of comes in to the shoulder, but then lifts his elbow up and kind of catches Bacchus in the head. I mean, it's a tough one to call. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you would think on, on a hit like this either. Yeah, I mean, being fair, I was really surprised he didn't get any penalty at all. Um, yeah. I really was. I mean, just being fair, not trying to be a homer or anything. But, yeah, I mean, nothing happened. At that, least an interference penalty or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought at least the result of that play would have been two minutes. And so there was nothing. And it was just kind of like, okay. And, and like you said, we haven't heard a review or anything. So I, it just goes back to the whole thing of it being inconsistent. There's just – I. You know, if there's, like we've talked about, there's got to be some parameters set up if there's headshots or there's five-minute majors or, or not necessarily a headshot but head contact, you know, stuff like that. It, it's got to be set up because, again, uh, plays like that, uh, I don't think that was a, a dirty play or a suspensionable play or anything like that, but it was definitely one that, to me, at least warranted at least a two-minute uh, penalty, Eddie. So, um but it's not reviewed, so I, I, it's just what, it goes back to what we constantly keep seeing here is, is just stuff like this happens, and uh, either the play is not reviewed when we think maybe it should have been or then it's vice versa, and it's just it's unfortunate because all of you out there, we, you all know about it, and it's just something that we're going to have to constantly deal with, whether, whether you're a fan of the Ducks or any other team in the league. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I, I agree. I think it was definitely warranted of an interference penalty at least in the game i mean we've seen worse and in, in players of getting a five or getting a, kicked out of the game getting a 10 minute game misconduct or, or or more and you know you see him get away with no penalty and then nothing 
today at least. And I think if there was going to be any discipline, we would have heard of something today. So I don't think anything's going to happen. But yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, it kind of speaks again to the inconsistency. I, I do not believe that it was should have been a suspendable hit or even a fine, but just no penalty on the play. And, and really, you know, Bacchus was hurt on this play too. And he's listed as day-to-day now. So it's just kind of an, an, an interesting decision. Um, but yeah, to, sorry, to get back to the Ducks road trip coming up, you know, they sit, like you said, they, they sit tied for a wild card spot with the Minnesota Wild. They're tied with the Kings and the Sharks on points. Obviously, the Kings have one game in hand, the Sharks have two games in hand, and they sit one point behind Dallas for the first wild card spot, and they've played the same amount of games. So the Ducks have really gained some ground in the last uh, six games where they've won five of their last six. And they're going to play some teams that you would suspect it should be a pretty winnable week because if you go and you look at the Eastern Conference, three of the Ducks' four games this week are against the bottom three teams in the Eastern Conference. They play Buffalo, they play Ottawa, and they play Montreal. Uh, You know, you would expect them to at least win these games or get close to winning these games. I mean, these are three games they, they, they have to win, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's what I'm thinking. I think the only real question this week is who goes in net, uh, Toronto and Buffalo, because those are the back-to-back situation. You know, if they, if he's going to go with Gibson against Toronto or he's going to go with Miller. I mean, because obviously he'll most likely uh, Carlisle put the opposite in against Buffalo. So, I, I think he might go with Gibson because, of course, he's going to go against uh, some of you know your still fan favorite. Uh, you know, Frederick Anderson, obviously, uh, being on the uh, the Leafs, but you may see a, a rematch of those two going at it on that day is maybe what will happen, and then Miller will go in that game against Buffalo. Oh, unless, of course, there's something more to Gibson, which we haven't heard. Um, you know, it might uh, unless Miller ends up having to go in all of these games, which, I mean, what, I'm confident with that happening. Obviously, I don't hope that Gibson's um, anything, you know, long-term with what happened in this last game, but... Uh, I think that's just the decision that might have to be made. I think that the the Ducks are very winnable. Like you said, uh, Toronto's been playing extremely well. It's going to be a tough game. Um, I think they should be able to take out the rest of these games. They're all pretty early games, too, keep in mind. Uh, the Ottawa, Toronto, Buffalo games are all 4 o'clock uh, Pacific time. The Montreal game's at a weird time, Eddie. 10 a.m. Uh, I think there's yeah, something going I mean, on that day you know about. <laughs> I don't I, That That's early for you guys, and that's yeah. that's still early for me. That's a 1 p.m. game here for me. Yeah. So that that's still a pretty early game. Yeah. But, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, some winnable games. I mean, the first game coming up especially, Ottawa's lost six in a row. So no excuse if you go into Ottawa and you, you lose that game. That That has to be a win for the Ducks coming up on this this most recent game. Yeah, I, I have high hopes this week. Um, so uh, I would think the Ducks would at least win three of these games, uh, if not uh, you know, two out of the four, but they should win three. Also, uh, coming up too, there's another – the scheduling is very weird this month. There's another early game on the 17th. Uh, that Saturday, they play Minnesota at 11 a.m. Pacific time. I, I, weird, but we're going to have a watch party that day at El Ranchito in Orange. Should be a lot of fun. Um, you know, maybe some day drinking during that game will be like going a on. Breakfast, lunch, uh, watch yeah, party. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. It's a, it's a brunch watch party, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll post some stuff on uh, social media with that. But yeah, that's pretty much it. We're going to wrap up the show. Um, we're going to be doing a couple things differently. Uh, Eddie and I are looking at doing some live shows, uh, you know, just finding the correct application to use and get back to doing some of those things that we've done before. So 
we'll post some updates on that and and some times we're, we're trying to figure out what's a good time we're looking at maybe fridays or saturdays kind of depending on everybody's work schedule and how that works um we'll put out some posts asking you guys you know what do you think what's a good time obviously and um look forward to that we we haven't done those in a while eddie so it should be fun trying to do a little bit of live discussion on the internet yeah i mean it's something we did way back when we first started when we had a little bit more time and we you know blab was our post game live show we did that for about what for half a season we did that until blab yep. got shut down and that kind of <laughs> threw that in a wrench and and you know something you know we can look forward to again hopefully if if our schedules permitted this year is a, another live uh, trade deadline show because we love doing that and we had a Phil Hewlett on one one year and then there's the one year where I was out in a blizzard and <laughs> <laughs> so th- those ones are always fun because we get a bunch of people on and and uh, you know we kind of sit there for three hours when nothing happens in the morning <laughs> and none of the trades and then they all start flooding in at around four o'clock when when the deadline closes and right. we get a bunch like five, of them so that will be fun. Uh, we'll, I mean, we've been looking into, like Mike said, we've been looking into doing another, some more live video shows or, or live podcasts in general. Um, but it comes down to finding a program that works because Blab is, is no longer available. So we'll look into that. And, and um, we've obviously got the podcast up on SoundCloud now. Uh, we're can, trying to see if we can continue doing that. Uh, we've obviously got it up on iTunes. We got it up on Podomatic. So if you you can either go see it on there. If you're going on iTunes and you want to leave us a, a review or leave a rating or whatever, it, it helps the show a lot. It gets it, it gets it out there for everybody to see. So yeah, greatly appreciate it if you guys decide to do that. Absolutely. And uh, with that, we'll be back most likely in a week, uh, probably after this uh, road trip. And uh, let's go Ducks.